now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. We live in a world right now and a nation right now, the United States of America, which is facing unprecedented challenges from essentially every quarter of society, culture, family, technology, science, etc. And the adversarial nature of the things facing us really puts us into this position, the following position. We will either recognize the hour, the lateness of the hour that we live in, or we will enter some kind of mental realm of make-believe reality where we will pretend that there is no danger, that there is no threat. And that's really the bottom line of what we're facing as a people, as Americans, as people of the world, and as ordinary individuals or family members or participants in our society. We're, you know, whether we like it or not, we're all in this together. So the critical question is, take any given challenge threatening our society, and there are so many, and they are not just mundane things, ordinary things. Each one of these challenges has the capacity to radically impact our lifestyles, our families, our spiritual lives. Every dimension in life is potentially threatened by what's happening. So where that brings us is to the following place. We can either indulge ourselves in the temptation of freaking out, so to speak, we can indulge ourselves and allow ourselves to uh, become overwhelmed, to uh, shut down, to pretend these things aren't happening. And all of that is a response to the fact that we recognize, either consciously or subconsciously, we recognize that we're in a very dangerous place. So, as human beings, historically, there's two basic responses. One is to enter a mental realm of unbelief, to live in a self-manufactured fairy tale, to develop all kinds of excuses for why you won't respond uh, in an accountable man manner to the challenges facing you. Or the other set of responses is that you recognize that in, in, in spite of all these challenges facing us, in spite of their intensity, because you believe in the truth, and the truth is that you were placed here on planet Earth by a very real Creator God, capital C, and that this Creator God has a special plan for you and a special plan for planet Earth. And that not only that, but this God, this Creator God, knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb, this Creator God knew that you would be sent into the earth at this particular time zone to encounter and potentially confront the various challenges that we face. So if that's the case, and, and the way we determine whether or not it, it is the case, is we examine the Scriptures, the, the Word of God, and the Word of God, which is without error, teaches us and tells us from Genesis to Revelation that 
our lives are not accidental, and that when God chooses any individual to be with him, to be born again, that choice is made. God knows what choice you're going to make before you're born into the earth. So you know from what the scripture says that the reason you're here, the reason that you're alive on planet earth during this time period with all the associated challenges is because God knew you before the foundation of the world and chose you to be in this time zone to face these challenges for such a time as this. Now, these two choices are absolutely critical because if you're going to live your life out under a, a fundamentally false assumption, which is that you're here by accident, God didn't even really know that you were going to show up here in this time zone. If you proceed to live your life from what we could say is a faulty foundation, a foundation which lacks truth, then you will not be equipped, as you should be, to fulfill the call of God for your life. You see, because it's in the process of fulfilling God's call for your life that you receive the divine power, the divine wisdom, the the divine guidance, the divine provisions, all of these things that you need to be able to engage and deal with what is potentially a very life-threatening reality. So your entire framework, your entire orientation about how you face reality, how you face this world, should not be shaped by the mindset of this present age or the mindset of the mainstream media or the mindset of the entertainment industry, the mindset of the educational system, the mindset of the political system, and so on and so forth. Because you see, these two systems, the system of the world system and the indoctrination from the world system, uh, which shapes, which attempts to shape your mind and sculpt your mind and direct your mind into thinking about reality from a programmed perspective. And that begins with uh, a deliberate attempt at inserting helplessness and fear into your consciousness beginning at childhood. So you, you step into this world, or you're born into this world, and you emerge into this world kind of off-balance, off-centered. And you look at the problems, and your temptation, again, it's a temptation, your temptation is to go with the flow of what everybody else is doing, or how everybody else is coping, or how everybody else thinks, including, uh, sadly to say, a disturbingly large percentage of uh, people who claim to be Christians. They claim to be Christians, but the way they think, the way they process reality, is based on the same set of parameters that secular humanists and atheists and uh, existentialists think. So, so they're trying to deal with reality from the perspective that the only strength or provision or knowledge or wisdom that you have or that you can gain has to come from you, a, a human being 
or has to come from other human beings or has to come from some kind of government of other human beings because you're you're going into this life proceeding through this life under a massive faulty assumption and the massive faulty assumption is that you are to whatever degree helpless and that you can't make it unless you have the opportunity to rely on some kind of all-powerful human system, which usually appears in the form or the shape of some kind of all-powerful human government or global government. This is what uh, the Bible talks about in the book of Genesis when we read the account of ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel, a a global system, a, a new world order now called the Great Reset, and these things are put before your eyes as the solution to your problems. And they're put before your eyes by uh, people who are relatively very intelligent, but their intelligence revolves around their ability to deceive, their ability to manipulate, and their ability to consolidate power. And so when you face reality, you you face reality based on your choice. And again, there's two choices. One is you choose to believe what God's Word says about reality, that you were created to be here for such a time as this, that God knew you before the foundation of the world, and that God has given you, before you were born into this world, God already downloaded into your DNA God already downloaded the mental faculties, the mental abilities, the emotional abilities, the psychological abilities, the physical abilities, all of the resources that God has given you to survive and to overcome in this environment were placed in you by God who chose you to be here for such a time as this. And this Creator God, capital C, put you in this time zone, and the truth of the matter is, if you, if you would be willing to receive the truth, the truth of the matter is, God not, did not put you here to be a victim, to be helpless, to be filled with fear, or to be overwhelmed, or to be confused in any shape or form. That is the truth of why you're here, and all the resources that you've been given by God also represents the truth of why you're here. You didn't come into this world helpless. You were birthed into this world with God-given capacities, God-given strengths, God-given wisdom, so that you would be able to meet the challenge, and more than that, more than meeting the challenge, you would have the capacity to overcome the challenges of life. Now, having that mindset, having that worldview, is the difference between succeeding at what God has called you to do and failing. Having that mindset determines your outcome, your ability to achieve what God called you to achieve, your ability to fulfill the various missions that God has given each person in life. All of that, your capacity, your inner capacity to be triumphant when others are freaking out, All of that flows from 
the conscious decision you made to either accept the truth of God's Word or to reject the truth of God's Word and to accept and believe what the people of this temporary world system are trying to program into you or train you or teach you. And everything that they're trying to do is really a process of embedding helplessness or fear or uh, a, a kind of panic mentality, which incapacitates you. And this is done deliberately. This is where you have to kind of take some big steps and you have to choose to grow up because it's in the process of growing up. It's in the process that when you search after the truth and you begin to gain truth and wisdom, it's in that process that you learn how to exercise the capacity to be triumphant, not be a victim in life, and to learn how to overcome as situation after situation confronts you. So this should not be an abstract discussion. This is essentially a discussion where we elaborate the fundamental platforms that you will choose to stand on in life. And if you choose to stand on the platform of truth and then move in terms of action and decision and thinking from the platform of truth, you will be triumphant and you will succeed in the plan that God has for you. But if you choose to go along with the, the hive mind, the world brain, or whatever you want to call it, where people are programmed to, to be dependent upon a system, a world system, and this world system is not a good thing. It's not a thing that God approves of. If you are attempting to gain your power, your knowledge, your wisdom, your ability to succeed, and so on and so forth, if you're attempting to derive from this present world system the powers, the talents, the abilities that you need to overcome in life, you're going to fail. Because what you're doing, whether you realize it or not, is you're actually replicating the same mistakes that our ancestors made going all the way back to ancient Babylon. Remember, ancient Babylon was the world's first new world order. It was the world's first one world government, one world religion, and one world economic system. And it was known, that system was known as Mystery Babylon. Now, this Mystery Babylon system, in a sense, was activated at the time of the building of the Tower of Babel. And what it was, it was kind of an example of the herd mentality. Mankind operated in a kind of synthetic unity, a unity which was really based on fear and a need for survival. So mankind functioned as one. They functioned in a, in a unified manner. And the Lord teaches us throughout the scriptures is that if we function in a unified manner, it does indeed bring about uh, an empowerment. It brings about the power and the wisdom we need to organize in order to get things done that we couldn't normally get done as separated or isolated individuals in this reality. So what God is trying to teach us is he's not trying to instruct us to, to seek for unity in order to get power and in order to manage this reality. 
that would be a very dangerous half-truth, and it would directly conflict with what God has said in His Word. Because what God is really saying in His Word is that when man acts in unity, whether for evil purposes or for good purposes, there's an exponential increase in the possibility of mankind achieving the various goals before him or her. Unity does produce an exponential magnification of what is possible to achieve, what is possible to build, what is possible to create. God teaches us that unity is a principle that works. But, like many other of God's laws, like the law of gravity and other laws, this law of unity will work in any group of people, whether they're whether their hearts are set towards evil or whether their hearts are set towards good, their unity will enhance their ability to accomplish the goals, independent of whether those goals are good, noble, and pure, or whether those goals are evil, uh, Luciferian, and satanic. And so we have to remember that unity is a law. It's a principle that will exponentially allow us to achieve and to complete and fulfill things that we could not ordinarily do all by ourselves or independently. But what God has warned us about throughout the Bible is just because unity is a law which causes us to be able to accomplish things that we couldn't normally accomplish, that law works for evil motives or for good motives. The the, the point that God is making is that that law is accessible to us if we'll learn how to use it. But but nowhere is God giving us a blanket encouragement where he's saying, you know, if you can dream it, if you can conceive it, you know, you can do it kind of stuff. Because Adolf Hitler incorporated some of those principles. The, the Nazi military generals incorporated those principles. And they almost, using those principles for dark, evil, and satanic purposes, they almost conquered the world. And that was never the will of God. So when we read the entire account of the uh, building of ancient Babylon, the Tower of Babel, we read how God comes down from heaven to essentially check out what is going on in ancient Babylon. Even though he knows it before he arrives, it, it is brought to his attention because the potential evil that is being released and will be released by Mystery Babylon is horrific. So God comes down from heaven to examine what he essentially already knows. He wants to confirm his suspicions. And when he sees what's going on in Babylon, his suspicions are confirmed. Because God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, so he can look, it's like he has x-ray vision, he's able to see right into the hearts and minds of mankind during the time of ancient Babylon and during the time of the building of the Tower of Babel. And what he sees, what God, the Lord God Almighty, sees, is he sees that the people of ancient Babylon, in their inner hearts, they were worshiping Lucifer as God, and they chose to reject the true God and the real God, or the biblical God. The people of ancient Babylon chose to worship Lucifer or Satan as God, and simultaneously they chose to reject the real God. And so they went along with Nimrod's plan 
to create and build this new world order, not built on the laws and principles of God's word, but built on the principles of the ancient Babylonian occult belief systems, which were based on Luciferian knowledge. And this Luciferian knowledge has been passed from generation to generation, from super-civilization to super-civilization, from empire to empire throughout human history. And it brings us to our present time period, where Mystery Babylon is being literally reborn right before our very eyes. It's just that it is rebranded. It has been renamed, and it's now called the Great Reset. So Mystery Babylon is alive and well in the world today. It just is being hidden under a different name, and that name is the Great Reset. But the game plan is the same. In the hearts of the people who are building Mystery Babylon are the Luciferian principles, the Satanic principles that God saw in the hearts and minds of the people who were building ancient Babylon. It's a, it's a rebirth of ancient Babylon. And this is what the Bible warns about, not only in the book of Genesis, but it's what the Bible warns about in the book of Revelation, which is Bible prophecy. We are told about, in Bible prophecy, a soon-coming one-world government, one-world religion, and one-world economic system that will be ruled by an antichrist and a false prophet, which will have its own cashless society using either a microchip implant or a nanochip implant or some other wireless technology that will serve as money, and human beings will not be able to participate or get connected or hook up to this global system unless they publicly announce that they're going to worship the Antichrist as God, and then they have to publicly renounce that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. So it's more than a ceremonial process. It's an actual covenant that people are making. And at that point, people again are making this choice. Where am I going to get my source from? How am I going to survive, feed myself and family? How am I going to have a place to live, a job, employment? food, protection, medical care, education, all the things that are needed for life. And we're always faced with the choice, how are we going to get those things? How are we going to acquire those things that are needed for life? And we can do, we can make a decision based on fear, and that will push us in the direction of wanting to place our lives in the hands of Lucifer and his counterfeit kingdom of heaven, known as the New World Order, or we choose to look to God as being God, and we choose to look to God as being our fundamental source, and then we worship God as our fundamental source, and we trust God to provide for all of our needs. We trust God to answer our prayers, and we trust God for the wisdom and the strength and we, the power we need to manage our way through life and be victorious in life. So we go back to those two fundamental positions that we will choose to operate on. And everybody that you know, whether they call themselves Christians or not, deep inside themselves, they have already made, they have already decided what platform or what position they're going to operate their life on. And they're moving accordingly. And you 
have to, like I have to, we have to really open ourselves up and be honest with ourselves before God and ask ourselves the question, on what basis, on what position, on what platform, on what strength are we living our lives out on? Are we opting for the counterfeit choice, which is to derive our power from Lucifer and Luciferian wisdom of this world system? Or are we truly trusting God to be not only our Savior eternally, but are we trusting God to be our provider, our protector, our defender, our teacher of truth? See, this is, this is all important, and it's not something you sweep under the carpet in your mind. Because what you decide, the choice you will make, is going to be as fundamental to you and your family and to your life as was the choice that both Eve and Adam made in the Garden of Eden when Satan or Lucifer, who embodied a, a reptilian being, seductively tried to make a deal with first Eve and then Adam. And the deal, quite simply, that Lucifer approached them with was, he approached them with a deal which was designed to seduce them away from the true God, the biblical God, by causing them to reject God's word and to literally disobey God and his commandment. And what was God's commandment to Adam and Eve in the garden? Eden, by the way, which was paradise. The commandment was, you can eat from any fruit or tree in the garden of Eden. You can rule and reign as kings and queens in the garden of Eden. But, God said to them, you cannot, you cannot eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden of Eden. Because if you do that, the Lord said to them, in the day that you do that, you will surely die. In other words, Adam and Eve, if they ate from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, would be, according to God, cursed. The fall of man would occur, and they would lose their... Um, immortality, they would lose their supernatural powers, and they would lose their ability to, to rule and reign planet Earth. And they would be, in the snap of your fingers, they would literally be conquered, they would literally be victims. Afraid, terrified, constantly running, constantly fearful, and without the power that they would need to be triumphant in life. So Lucifer capitalized on this. And he appealed to Eve, and he lied, because Lucifer and Satan, Satan literally means the father of lies. So he lied to Eve and twisted the word of God, and he said to Eve, God hasn't said that you eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, that you will surely die. He lied, and he said to her, God hasn't said that, but we know God said it because it's in the word of God. And so then he said to her, God's kind of like holding out from you, because God, and again, he lies again. He said, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will be like God, or you shall be like a God, knowing the difference between good and evil. So again, the serpent of old lies with this massive lie and tells Eve, who then persuade, persuades Adam to do the same thing, to eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Because now they believe the lie, and they're expecting that they're going to be like God. 
despite the fact that God gave them the power to almost be like God under him, they wanted more. And that and Satan appealed to that. And so they disobeyed the word of God. They ate from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And then in, in the flash, they knew that they knew that they knew that they had broken the law of God. Because in an instant, in a, in a, a literal flash, Adam and Eve could sense in their inner beings that they, they had become fallen creatures. They were no longer eternal beings. They, they no longer would live forever. And the life force of God literally left them, and they were now living under a curse. They had activated the law of sin and death, and now the death force began to infuse them. And pain and sickness and disease and fear and paranoia and insecurity and all these psychological problems rushed into the void of their personalities, and they became fallen creatures. And so immediately, they began to experience shame because now they knew for the first time that they were naked. So they experienced shame, shame which alienated them from God. In addition to shame, they also began to experience fear. For the first time in their lives, they experienced fear. They were afraid of their environment. They were afraid of God and the core of their identity. They were no longer filled with that inner confidence that God had previously given them. They were now deeply rooted in fear. And this fear allowed the evil one, Lucifer, and the fallen, fallen angels to begin to exercise dominion and rulership to whatever degree, because Adam and Eve had rejected the divine power that God already gave them. Adam and Eve had now uh, received the spirit of fear. Adam and Eve uh, lost their supernatural power and their su supernatural authority to rule and reign over planet Earth like kings and queens, and they lost their right to rule and reign, and this was taken from them, and Lucifer stole it. The fallen angels serving Lucifer stole these powers, and they then transferred their power, their authority, over to Lucifer, who became the temporary god of this world because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. So the lie that Lucifer, or the reptilian serpent being, promoted to first Eve and then Adam was a highly strategic, calculated lie. It was a plot which, once it was initiated through the disobedience of Eve and Adam in the garden, Satan or Lucifer knew. He had plotted the whole thing out. He knew that God would strip them of their supernatural authority, and then he would be able to take that authority for himself, and he would be able to use the sin of Adam and Eve in his endgame to become God, to, to fulfill his coup d'etat or his revolution against the rule of God, and that he could potentially be the God of this world and get mankind to worship him. So even though that occurred thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, the spiritual battle that we're in now, the spiritual battle that I outline in great detail in my book, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, this spiritual battle that we're in now is a result of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. 
And this great reset, like Babylon, this great reset is another aspect of this Luciferian satanic plot, which is designed to construct a counterfeit kingdom of heaven on earth. It's designed to deceive mankind into worshiping the Antichrist and the false prophet as gods, specifically the Antichrist, to worship him as God, and bring in this counterfeit new world order, which is nothing more than a man-made attempt, along with the attempt of the fallen angels, to manufacture an artificial or synthetic Garden of Eden, or an artificial or synthetic or, you could say, virtual world Garden of Eden, which is the basis for transhumanism. What is transhumanism? Transhumanism is a religion. The Supreme Court defined humanism as a religion. So humanism, the belief that man is God and that there is no external God, has been designated as a religion and a a religious belief system by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. It has proclaimed that people who are humanists, that humanism is their religion, just like for Christians, Christianity is their religion. And when you examine humanism in light of transhumanism, and transhumanism is like a major denomination for the religion of humanism. So think of transhumanism this way. Think of humanism as a powerful religion which teaches that man is God and mankind came into being by evolutionary accident. That's essentially the belief system of humanism. Man is God. But this religion, humanism, has a major denomination in it theologically. The denomination or offshoot of humanism would be transhumanism. And transhumanism is humanism with this modification. Transhumanism is humanism with the add-on belief that if mankind if mankind uses technology and science, they can artificially manufacture themselves or create themselves through technology or through science of genetics or whatever into making themselves God. So transhumanism is a belief system that man can become God, that man is God, with the add-on that the way that man will become God The the way that man is God is through technological and scientific inventions, especially technology and sciences that have to do with uh, artificial intelligence, computer technology, and the science of genetics, genetic engineering, and DNA. And by manipulating these things with man-made science and technology, it's the aspiration or the belief system of uh, humanists and transhumanists, it's their belief system that through technology and science that they can become gods. Now the problem with that is that it's a false belief system. It's not true. They may invent or manufacture through genetic engineering or through uh, computer science, robotics, androids, artificial intelligence, and then genetic engineering. 
they can potentially manipulate those factors. They can potentially utilize those sciences to create forms. And and let me emphasize that the operative word is forms, F-O-R-M-S. They can potentially create forms of synthetic men who are synthetic gods or forms of virtual men who become virtual gods or forms of robotic men or android men and women that become android or robotic gods or other such attempts. But here is what is going to happen. Only God can be God. There's only one true God. And this God, this one true God, is not only the creator of everything that there is, but he is, and this is an important to understand, and it's not being taught in the churches, and it's vital to understand. It's essential to understand that God is not only the creator, but God, in terms of where he is in the hierarchy of everything in the universe, God is not only the creator of the universe, but God in terms of hierarchy, God in terms of authority, is the king of kings and lord of lords. There is nobody, and there can be nobody or no thing, and that includes technological or scientific things that man may invent through transhumanism. There is nothing man can create. There is no way that man can evolve. There is no methodology by which man can make himself into a god or even an eternal an eternal man that is in any way, shape, or form superior to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or superior to the Supreme Being. Supreme meaning there is nobody above him in power or authority. God is the Supreme Being, and God lives beyond time and space. That means that the existence and the reality of God is not confined to this present time zone, or the present multidimensional reality in which we live, which is essentially based on the physical dimension realities which we can perceive with our senses, like feeling, tasting, touching, etc. God is above and beyond all of that, and God is above and beyond also the dimension, the temporary dimension of time. God lives in a dimension of eternity. God is the great I Am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. God will live forever, and all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and are born again will live forever. As such, God's authority to rule and reign exclusively as God Almighty, the Supreme Being, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lordship, please follow me here, because this truth is not being taught in the churches and when the church is deficient or malnourished in the area of any important biblical truth, there's, all, there's always a harmful impact. I am emphasizing this truth to you today on the Paul McGuire Report because I believe in all my heart from studying God's Word that this truth is an essential and vital component in our enablement right now in time, space, and history our enablement to receive power from on high and to be victorious as the supernatural body of Christ is contingent upon our understanding and having a revelation knowledge of the truth of God's Word and the truth in God's Word, which defines Him as the King of Kings, 
Lord of Lords, the Supreme Being, the Great I Am, and God Almighty. God is God Almighty. So when we define him that way, and when we properly understand that God exists in a dimension beyond space and time, what that means in reference to transhumanism and the transhumanist attempt to genetic engineering or uh, computer science or artificial intelligence or any kind of science or any kind of technology where mankind may attempt to make himself immortal or where mankind may attempt to make himself a god, superior to God, we know that those plans can never happen. Man will never be God. Man will never surpass God. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that God is beyond space and time. So that means in this present time period now, God is the supreme being, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty. In the past, God, that's who God was. He was God Almighty. Before the world was conceived, God was God Almighty, the supreme being. And in the future, that which is to come, in the future, and that's where we may potentially see these failing efforts by mankind to technologically reinvent mankind into being God or superior to God. That's, their, that's what they want to do. That's what's in their hearts. It's, that's the same thing that was in the hearts of the people of ancient Babylon at the time of the building of the Tower of Babel. So in the hearts of the transhumanists, they want to make themselves greater than God or to be gods. But the way God has constructed reality and the fact of who God really is, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the supreme being, he's God Almighty. Therefore, man, even in the future, even with the utilization of science and technology and genetic engineering and uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, androids, uh, cloning, no matter what science you're talking about, transhumanists will never be able to create any kind of man-made entity. Even through artificial intelligence, mankind will never be able to create any entity that is factually superior in authority and existence to the only true God, who is the only supreme being, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty, the only true God, God Almighty, the supreme being, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is Lord of lords and King of kings in the past, in the present, and forever, for all eternity, in the future. So that means no matter how aggressively transhumanists, no matter how boldly they may develop in robotics or uh, cloning or genetics or whatever, they will never be able to arrive at a destination point that makes them equal to God, and they will never be able to arrive at a destination point which makes them superior to God. Now, they don't like that. They, they do not want to hear that. They rebel against that. But it happens to be the truth, because God is God Almighty. God is the Creator, capital C. God is the one that created everything. And so they may create their virtual worlds, and they may create their synthetic worlds and synthetic realities. They may manipulate DNA and the genetic code and create synths, S-Y-N-T-H-S, which is a 
acronym for synthetic human beings. They may create synthetic human beings, clones, uh, hybrid beings between fallen angels and human beings, hybrid beings between uh, human DNA and uh, uh, manipulated uh, man-made DNA codes. They may try all kinds of different combinations and experiments, but they are going to perpetually end up just like the fictional character Dr. Frankenstein ended up when he tried to play God in the fictional novel Frankenstein. So Dr. Frankenstein, in that novel, thinks he's creating a Superman, but what he's really creating is a monster. And that monster is known as Frankenstein, and you've all seen movies about Frankenstein. Transhumanism is not just a religion which tries to elevate man into the place of God. Transhumanism is a counterfeit humanist religion which also attempts to use science and technology. It vainly attempts to make mankind superior to God. And in this counterfeit religion, based on spiritual deception, pride, and the lies of Lucifer. Because ultimately, what is driving transhumanism? What is driving humanism? This is not an idea that man, even in man's fallen state, man didn't arrive uh, at the lust to be God or superior to God. Uh, He didn't arrive at that independently and all by himself or herself. There was a being that had a a infinite jealousy of God's power and authority. And that being is Lucifer or Satan. And Lucifer or Satan was God's most powerful angel. But Lucifer or Satan lusted to be God. And so Lucifer or Satan led a revolution against God, along with one-third of the angels. And their goal is to have a coup d'etat, overthrow the rule of God, which, by the way, is an impossibility, because God is God Almighty, Lucifer is not. And this revolution also entailed the seduction of Adam and Eve, the fall of man, and this counterfeit heaven, which they're building now, called the Great Reset. But this rebellion by Lucifer, and Lucifer's lust to be God, is driven or energized by Luciferian and Satanic energy, And those seeds of thought, strongholds, are thought forms embedded in the consciousness of mankind through satanic power. Those strongholds embedded into mankind and then into external thought forms, such as the religion of humanism and the external thought form of the religion of transhumanism. They are Lucifer's last desperate attempt to finalize his coup and become God or superior than God. But it cannot happen, and it will not happen. And the reason it cannot happen is because Lucifer, the fallen angels, rebellious men and women that are following Satan, none of them, individually or collectively, have the power or the authority to overrule the only supreme being in all the universe, in all creation. There's only one supreme being. He's the biblical God, the great I Am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty. There's only one being who has that authority, and that's God Almighty. And so these revolutions initiated by Satan and Lucifer, these technological 
uh, ventures into trying to be God or uh, an android God or whatever, they are all doomed to failure. They are all doomed to unwind and to disintegrate. And not only that, God Almighty, because he is God Almighty, and because he's the rightful owner and ruler of the universe and all that is, God will not tolerate this rebellion any longer in the invisible realm or the visible realm. God will not tolerate it. And so what that means explicitly is that we, you and I, are on the precipice of the end of time, the end of the age, the end of days. You and I are right there. And God Almighty, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is returning to earth through the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, followed by the armies of heaven. And they are riding horses, and Christ is riding a white horse. And the armies of heaven, led by Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, will descend from the heavens onto the earth in the prophesied location of the Valley of Megiddo, also known as Armageddon. And the second coming, Christ will return along with the armies of heaven to destroy the Antichrist, the false prophet, to destroy the New World Order, the Great Reset, to utterly destroy this satanic rebellion, the fallen angels, and to destroy and judge all those who joined with Satan by receiving the mark of the beast or selling their souls for power. They will all be apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. And they will be sentenced into what I call God's supermax, a cosmic prison, also known as the lake of fire, because God will not tolerate the uh, existence of this kind of manifestation of evil in his new heaven and new earth, in the new Jerusalem, in, in, in heaven and the kingdom of heaven, and in all eternity. That is for the righteousness who gain their righteousness by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, whose sins were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and who were born again and regenerated by the Spirit of God. You see, once again, at a certain point, you can, you can ramp up all the spiritual deception you want. But ultimately, when spiritual deception and the power of lies keeps ramming and trying to overthrow the truth with its lies at a certain point, because the truth will always prevail. God will always prevail, and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. The truth will always prevail. So no matter how furious the satanic or Luciferian revolution, no matter how boasting the Great Reset is, at some point, and that point is coming far quicker than people realize, it will, it will attempt to usurp God, and in the process of its attempt to usurp God and God's power, it will shatter into a zillion pieces. It will, it will fragment. It will implode. It will vaporize. And God will sentence all those who were a part of it into the lake of fire for all eternity. So that is what's going to happen. You and I are in the last days. We're in the time period where he who is God, the only true God, says enough is enough. He rises from his throne, and he returns as the Lord Jesus Christ at the second coming, King of kings and Lord of lords, along with the armies of heaven, riding a white horse, and he descends on the earth, and he overthrows the satanic Luciferian rebellion 
which is happening uh, along with the seduction of all the nations on planet Earth in the final battle for planet Earth known as Armageddon. And Jesus Christ will prevail as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he will initiate initially the thousand-year millennial rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is awesome. This is awesome beyond awesome. So when you position or platform your life and yourself and your identity and your purpose and what your assignment from God is, when you place yourself on a firm foundation, which is the truth of God's Word, you will emerge, as Christ will emerge, victorious. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the Paul McGuire Report. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. This is the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. The most important thing that we can derive from the studying of the Bible, besides believing the Bible, always approaching the Bible from the attitude of the the Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, it's the Word of God. The, The Bible is without mistakes. That happens to be true. It's not just something we say like a mantra, like chanting Om. The Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God, period. It's non-negotiable. And that's how you should, if you, if you say you respect God and you worship God, then it's a given that the follow-up to that is, it's absolutely mandatory that you treat God's Word with respect, which means you believe it. And if you have a problem with something in God's Word, that's fine. But then it's your job to intellectually and spiritually search the Scriptures and find out why you have a problem with it. Because when you dig, that's where you find the gold of God's Word. And most of the time, what appears to be a contradiction, what appears to be uh, something that you know bothers people, it's usually because it's not interpreted right, or it's not understood correctly, or it's not uh, it's not examined on the basis of history, and somebody you know goes for the lazy shortcut. Now, so the Word of God in our lives, because we're in the last days that I was just talking about. The Word of God challenges us personally. Each one of us, when we read the Word of God, we should personally be challenged. The Holy Spirit will challenge us and is challenging us. Sometimes we don't want to pay attention to that. You know, we want to block that out of our minds. But the truth is, God challenges us when we read His Word or we we, we meditate in His Word. And so we have to make the choice. What position, what platform, what foundation am I going to stand on? What is my belief system about life? You see, because whatever that is, whatever you choose to be your belief system in your life, to be your foundation, to be your position, to be the thing that you're standing upon, the thing that you're basing your life upon, everything else flows from that. And your life will either come together or not come together. You will either be the person God wanted you to be, or you'll miss the mark based on that beginning position. And and you don't freak out because you don't do it perfectly. You ask for God's forgiveness. Let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you of all sin, and let the Lord dust you off, get back up, and you get in the race again. This is not some legalistic bondage or a set of, you know, 
uh, God's not walking around following you with a big yellow legal pad in his hand, writing down everything you did wrong. That's a very weird, distorted impression of God. So you have to make that decision. And if you make the right decision, which is to believe the Word of God, to acknowledge that it's a fact, it's factually true that there's only one supreme being in the universe, not multiple ones. There is one supreme being. The the Bible says, the Lord thy God is one. One being. And that one being expresses himself, and this is not a contradiction. This one being, this one God expresses himself in a triune nature, or what is called the Trinity. Now, if you don't dig deep enough and you have a shallow interpretation of the Bible, or or a, a you don't really study the Word of God, you have a superficial grasp of the Scripture, then you might say something really dumb like, oh, well, you know, the Bible doesn't make any sense. It says, the Lord thy God is one, but, you know, it's really, isn't, isn't God saying he's three gods? No, God's not saying he's three gods. That's your responsibility for an erroneous misinterpretation. You didn't interpret the Word of God properly. And you didn't interpret the Word of God in light of numerous other scriptures, which continually reinforces the truth of the triune nature of God. So all these people who get bent out of shape about the Trinity, the reason they're bent out of shape is because they didn't do their homework. They didn't dig deep. If they would dig deep and really study the truth, study to show yourself approved before God, then the questions, the so-called questions, and what appears to be contradictions, they dissolve in the light of the truth of God's Word. So I don't want to get into a whole thing in the Trinity, but let's just say it this way. Think of water, H2O, water, water. Okay, water is water. God is God. But water can manifest itself in three forms. Ice, liquid water, or steam water. So water is water, right? But water can manifest itself as water which is steam, water which is liquid, or water which is ice. But it's still water, right? It's still H2O. Okay, so let's just think about that for a second, and then let's just move over to the theological area of God being a triune God. He manifests himself in the form of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he's one. He's one God. Those are not three different gods. And if you're interpreting it to mean, well, that's three different gods, you have a false interpretation of the Word of God. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Genesis, and it, it repeats itself throughout the Scriptures, about the triune nature of God. So it says in the book of Genesis, let us make man in our own image. And the word us is a capital U. Let us make man in our own image. Well, what does God mean when he says, let us make man in our own image? Well, God isn't a schizophrenic. God doesn't have multiple personality disorder. When God says, let us make man in our own image, he's referring to the triune nature of his being. Let us make man in our own image simply means, let us, which means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we read the same thing about Christ in the New Testament, the triune nature of God. 
So there's no problem there. The problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with the shallowness, the unbelief, and the lack of study of among people who attempt to critique the Word of God, but haven't done their homework. All right, so let's move forward from that. You, you have to, in order to live life and be free, you can't just make all this stuff up by yourself. And we have a, a world which is exploding right now, especially with the Internet. Everybody and their brothers on the Internet, fine, good and well. That's, you know, more power to them. I don't really care. I've been on the Internet since the beginning. I've been talking about the things that I've been talking about in the very first wave that was on the Internet. This was decades ago. So now we have a lot of wannabes. Okay. But all of a sudden, they promote themselves as experts in all these different areas. They're not experts. They just woke up. I'm glad they woke up. Believe me, I am. But they just woke up in the last two or three years. Well, good for them. But see, people who have been at it a long time, like myself and others, who were in the first wave, um, we've been at it for decades and, and decades. We didn't just start to see what was going on yesterday. But I'm thankful that they woke up. But along with that, though, is there is a, and I don't mean this, well, well I don't mean this to be just, just to be mean-spirited, but there's a shallowness in the substance of what they're talking about. Because you see, they have not paid the intellectual price, the theological spiritual price, the research price. They have not paid the homework price of studying their subject matter sufficiently. So that's why you have so many gods. I mean, a lot of these people are well-meaning people, and you and I may, uh, might agree with them in many, many areas. Well, I'm thankful for that. But it, when it comes down to their identifying who God is accurately, it it borders on, um, and they don't mean it this way. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm not like uh, attacking them, but they need to expose themselves to teaching where they can see for themselves how God defines the God of the Bible, and you know, with with a certain degree of study. You don't have to go to theological school, but a minimal degree of study. And when you compare and contrast the biblical God, the Creator, capital C, the supreme being uh, outlined in the Bible, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, um, uh, the Great I Am, uh, God Almighty, when you compare the biblical God, the Creator, capital C, with all these other gods and mystical forces and, and, and concepts like higher consciousness and one with the universe, all of those things which I personally experienced and experimented with myself because I was in the New Age movement and altered states of consciousness and all that stuff. And I, in my ignorance, when I first started out producing movies, documentaries, and all kinds of stuff, I, I came from that same lack of understanding about the real nature of God. So in order to release the power of God, in order for the power of God to release you, and this is really important, we have a lot of people who are amateur experts in quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and they come up with things like the secret and other things, which may have selective slivers of truth in them. But unless you have the foundation of knowledge of the Word of God, you will not be able to discern the difference between the slivers of truth and pathways or hallways that lead you into error. 
and, and to use the, the, the popular expression, the matrix, as long as your definition of God and your understanding of who God is, is defective, you're not going to be set free. And if you're not set free, you're going to be stuck roaming the mazes of the matrix, clueless. And I don't mean this to be mean. God has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And there's a reason why, of all these gods and gurus and spiritual teachers and enlightened masters and stuff, there's a reason that only one of them in all of human history, only one, was crucified, killed, was certifiably dead, and then literally in front of witnesses, his body secured by a large boulder-like rock, surrounded by the equivalent of Roman special op soldiers, so nobody could steal the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ escaped from the tomb, not physically. He actually went through the walls of the tomb, and he resurrected from the dead. So, if we're comparing all the spiritual teachers and gurus, and I'm not saying that some of these people may not have some good things to say. It depends on what we're talking about. But if you compare and contrast Jesus Christ with every other spiritual teacher, guru, guide, enlightened master, or whatever, only Jesus Christ was killed, died, and resurrected from the dead. So, you know, you, you, you can play all the mental games you want, but you, gotta, you have to deal with that. You have to process that. Just pretending it didn't happen, and just because you like the smile of the guru, and you know, uh, it doesn't mean anything. Not only that, the level of miracles, the witnesses to the level of miracles. There are people who allegedly performed miracles throughout time. I'm not saying they didn't. But the level of miracles, signs and wonders that Jesus Christ performed in front of the eyes of countless witnesses was on a level that no person, enlightened master, no guru, no teacher, no guide, ever came close to. The level of supernatural power, the level of miracles, healing blind eyes, resurrecting people from the dead, <clears throat> healing people with sickness, delivering people from demons, um, and on and on and on. I mean, Jesus Christ w was operating at a level that makes him totally unique and different. Thus, you come to the conclusion, logically and rationally, that the reason Jesus Christ is completely different is because Jesus Christ wasn't just some spiritual teacher or guru. Jesus Christ is and was King of kings and Lord of lords. He ascended into heaven, and he's returning with the armies of heaven. So you've got to deal with that. You have to process that. You can't just pretend that didn't happen and compartmentalize. So Jesus Christ is God. And when you integrate the teachings of the Old Testament with the New Testament, you discover that the biblical God is the only true God. A comparison would be the biblical God who sent Moses to deliver the Jews, or the children of Israel, from the Pharaoh God-King system in ancient Egypt through supernatural miracles, proving that the biblical God was the true God. And the God of Israel was the, is the true God, the biblical God. And that's why it's not an accident that Jesus Christ is returning to Jerusalem and Israel at his second coming. It's a completion of the teaching from the true biblical God that began in the, in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, 
God the Father sends Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, who authentically and miraculously was born of a virgin. So what you have is something that never happened in human history, and that is God supernaturally, through his Spirit, impregnated Mary with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There was no hanky-panky. There was no manipulation going on. There was no lying going on, as people infer. Jesus Christ is the only person in human history ever to be born of of a certifiable virgin. Jesus Christ was the only person to be born, died, resurrected, and his entire life was predicted in precise detail over thousands of years, meticulously, by the Old Testament prophets. So there are so many verifiable, legally proven uh, supernatural elements that prove that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that the Creator God, capital C, is the supreme being. Jesus Christ is the supreme being. God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, and the ultimate God of the universe. No, there's no one, no one that comes close. So, so you see, when you, when you choose to ignore that, you may not like Christianity. I can, okay, believe me, I can understand. But when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, that's a different story. You see, if you're truly going to be intellectually honest, if you're going to be theologically honest or philosophically honest, if you're going to be truly rational and analytical in your approach, as well as spiritual, you come to the conclusion that this God of the Bible has to be the supreme being, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you methodically choose to look at all the facts and the overwhelming evidence that proves that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that the biblical God is the only true God, the supreme being. When you look at the facts and the proof that exists, you have to come to terms with it. If you're going to be honest and have integrity, then you have to admit that Jesus Christ is God. If you're going to deny reality, if you're going to be dishonest, if you're going to embrace deception because it's convenient for you for whatever reason, then you're going to be deceived because you are manipulating the evidence, the data, the documentation, and the facts to suit your purposes, whatever they are. If you simply look at the facts, the documentation, and the truth, it shouts irrefutably that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it's when you process that, and when you come into a right relationship with the truth, it's then and only then that you are set free as an individual. The, listen, a lot of people talk about a lot of stuff, and that's fine. I think the Matrix is a great uh, uh, illustrative, symbolic format for a lot of what goes on in our world. That's why I use the Matrix term all the time. I, I've written books like Conquering the Matrix and stuff like that. However, the only way that you can truly break free from the Matrix, the only way that you can truly escape the Matrix, or as I say with the title of my book, Conquer the Matrix, The only way you can truly do that is when you possess and receive the truth. And by truth, I mean that truth which is really true, or true truth, or final reality. It is only when you receive the truth, or true truth, or final reality, 
You see, because final reality is distinct from artificial or virtual reality. Final reality is the reality that is real independently of what some person may think in their imagination. Your imagination is not final reality. Final reality exists independently of your imagination. But the only way that you will ever be free of the Luciferian matrix of this world system, which is ruled by a temporal Luciferian elite, is you must receive the truth and know the truth. The minute you do that, you can be set free from the matrix. You can be set free from the rule of the Luciferian elite, and you can receive the gift of eternal life. And the way you do that is you have to make the decision with an act of your will to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By doing that, you're acknowledging the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That breaks open the prison gates and bars of the matrix prison. That's why Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the only way out of the matrix and the Luciferian elite and the Great Reset or whatever prison you're in, the only way out of the matrix is for you to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And with an act of your will, you receive the truth of Jesus Christ, which means you ask Jesus Christ to cleanse you of all your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then after you do that, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life through his Spirit, and you ask Jesus Christ to make you born again. When you do that in a nanosecond, you are born again. The Spirit of God enters your inner man or inner woman, and you become a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. At that exact moment, the moment you die, the nanosecond you die, whenever that is, you will receive instantaneously a brand new, supernatural, glorified, perfect body by which you will enter the kingdom of heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and you will live in paradise with God forever and ever and ever. But again, let me urge you and exhort you, there's only one way out of the matrix. And that is through the door of truth. That's why Jesus Christ said in the book of Revelation, he talks about, Behold, I knock at the door. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, right now, what Jesus Christ means by that, when he says to you, Behold, I knock at the door. If you listen to the ears of your spirit, you can hear Jesus Christ literally, right now, knocking on the door of your heart. Why is Jesus Christ knocking on the door of your heart right now? He's knocking at the door on your heart because he wants you, with an act of your will, to open the door of your heart and allow him in, because he's given you free will. That's, that's, you see, transhumanism, humanism, every humanistic system is dictatorial, top-down, pyramidical, Luciferian, matrix slave system. The kingdom of God, you have free will. It's the only place where you're free. You have free will. Jesus Christ knocks on the door of your heart, but you have the free will or the choice to open the door of your heart and allow him in. If you choose, which you should, to open the door of your heart right now and invite Jesus in by saying, Jesus, I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins through the blood of Jesus. If you're saying that right now, he'll answer you right now. And then you simply say, Jesus, I invite you. I ask, I thank you for cleansing me of all of my sins through the blood of Jesus. I invite you right now to come into my inner man or woman and make me born again. And I thank you right now that you have truly saved me and given me the gift of eternal life right at this very moment. I thank you and praise you for that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what happens after that? Because I, I prayed a prayer like that. I didn't even know what I was praying, by the way. In fact, to show you how upside down my experience was, I literally, when I was praying that prayer that I just spoke with you, at the time that I prayed that prayer, I wasn't even sure that I knew what sin was, because I was a secular humanist atheist. And I was taught that sin was some kind of ancient mythological concept, that there was no such thing as sin. Well, people would say, well, then you can't be saved. Let me tell you something, honey. And that wasn't supposed to be sexist, so I don't, so I don't, so I don't get all included. That, that was like a generic, honey, applies to anybody. So, like, I, I, I didn't even believe in the word sin. But the grace of God was so great that, he, that the mere fact that I prayed the prayer, God read my heart, and he knew that I couldn't quite intellectually understand what sin was, but God honored my repentance from sin, even though it was somewhat imperfect, and God honored my inviting Christ into my life to make me born again. And so I literally was born again and saved. And the following day, I experienced the most powerful supernatural miracle of all the supernatural experiences that I've been experiencing, like cosmic consciousness, becoming one with the universe, seeing the great white light, experiences with gurus, altered states of consciousness, mental telepathy, remote viewing. All of that stuff was like nothing in comparison with the overwhelming revolutionary experience that I experienced when I said to somebody who was eavesdropping on our conversation, and they asked me, did I believe Jesus Christ was Lord? And I looked at this girl, a minister's daughter, and I blurted out to her the following day, I believe that Jesus Christ was Lord. At that very second, in fact, at that nanosecond, it was like the sky cracked open and I saw God, not in a spiritual sense, excuse me, not in a physical sense, but a spiritual sense. I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus Christ was Lord and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and everything else was like an illusion. So I invite you on that journey. And I invite you to stand with me as we press forward against all resistance. We press forward communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone we possibly can. I need your help to stand with me and pray, prayfully ask the Lord what you can give financially or in terms of contributions and a gift and just obey God. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Keep us in your prayers. Uh, and we need your help in signing on to our e-blast list, signing on, liking, following all our social media. That's imperative because we have been the targeting of rigging big time. And the only way to break that stranglehold is for you to partner with us, sign and join and like our social media. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Remember, with God, everything's impossible. All things are possible. So if you're basing your life on the position we talked about, everything is possible for you. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire.